The valleys are calling. Let's escape the noise. This is episode 48 of the Just Trek podcast. Welcome to the Just Trek podcast, where elevation is our recreation. This is your host, Justin Just Rock Ramon, coming to you from Los Angeles. On this show, you will hear stories and adventures from inspirational hikers, explorers, weekend warriors, to even creatives in the LA community and beyond. Join the Just Trek crew on our journey to True North. We aim to inspire, motivate, and elevate you to a higher state of well being. You can follow us on Instagram at just.trek. Facebook.com slash Just Trek Official and our website, JustTrek.net. Just Trek crew, what it do? Do, do, do. This is your host, Just Rock, and on this episode, I'm just riding solo. No special guest, just me sharing my thoughts towards a most epic and wild string of adventures that I experienced in Death Valley National Park. For those of you not familiar, Death Valley is located in California, with the closest cities being that of Lone Pine and Las Vegas. This most intriguing area is a land of extremes. It is the largest national park in the country, home to the Badwater Basin, which is the lowest point in North America, and Death Valley has the hottest temperatures ever recorded in the world. Talk about superlatives out the wazoo. Looking back and reflecting on the whole trip, this might have been the most ridiculous time I've ever had in a national park. I experienced so many dramatic and different kind of landscapes, from below sea level salt flats to high elevation peaks. Sand dunes to volcanic craters, salt creeks full of rare fish, to trippy rainbow colored canyons. Star Wars landscapes, and the sunrises, sunsets, star-studded skies, and full moons here are just next level. I even had the intense experience of surviving a heat stroke, and that was a very scary moment for myself that I will get into later in the episode. So much to share, and now it's time to bring you along to my first ever experience of Death Valley National Park. So come join the ride with the Just Trek crew, and let's get to trekking. Before we jump into the conversation, I want to let you know that the Just Trek merch store is officially live right now. If you would like to support my podcast journey and represent Just Trek on your adventures, please make sure to check out justtrek.net slash shop. That is J-U-S-T-T-R-E-K dot N-E-T slash shop. We currently have new merch available for purchase. I appreciate you all so much. And now let's get back to the show. National parks. These otherworldly destinations draw millions of people each year to experience their grandiose wonders. They are places for epic adventures, majestic views, and bring unparalleled joy to those who beckon their calling. Although these places are national treasures and are considered America's best idea, they have a very dark history of violent displacement of the natives and indigenous people in order for them to be created. It is important to acknowledge this history and that the natives are present right here right now and are not a thing of the past. 
So if you are able to, I highly recommend you connect with them to educate yourself and learn more from them. One such local group here in LA is Natives for Nature that we are familiar with. All that being said, I personally have been to a handful of national parks, including Yosemite, Zion, Joshua Tree, Haleakala, which is in Maui, Hawaii, and even parts of Sequoia National Park during my Mount Whitney journey. I've had outdoor adventures in all these places that I will always cherish for a lifetime, such as, such as summiting Half Dome in Yosemite, which is the real-life North Face logo. I would highly recommend listening to episode 2 or 13 if you want to learn more about that wild story. I've trekked through the Narrows in Zion National Park to having my jaw drop at the views when I reached Mount Whitney's Trail Crest, which is in fact located in Sequoia National Park. And despite all these national park adventures, I believe my experience in Death Valley was the most action-packed and wild back-to-back string of adventures that I've ever had, and I'm still processing it all. Massive shout-outs to my longtime friend and crewmate Machete Matt, a.k.a. Matt Kerr, for curating the whole experience. It was so nice not to organize a big outdoor experience for once, as I feel that I'm always the one uh, making all the plans and itineraries throughout like my personal passions and career. So you're probably wondering, how did this Death Valley trip all happen? Well, my crewmate Matt has been raving for the last two years about how this national park is his absolute favorite. So he was definitely a major catalyst to me warming up to the idea of finally getting on out there and joining his crazy ass self along with other members such as uh, such as Francis, who I call Ranger Francois, Linda, I don't have a trail name for her yet, Jade, Jade the Brigade, and Jen, which is Linda's sister. It was a last minute decision for myself to join them all as I was contemplating staying in LA to focus on different projects and just simply catch up on life. But holy moly, so glad that I decided to venture out there Otherwise, I wouldn't be having all these new epic memories and now this solo podcast for you all to enjoy. So this is how I'm going to break down everything before we get into the meat and potatoes of the entire Death Valley extravaganza. The trip was from April 14th through April 17th, and the first two days, it was just me and Matt, and then the rest of the crew would join us for Saturday and Sunday. So Thursday, day one, bagged corkscrew peak with Matt. Friday, day two. Sunrise at Dante's View, Zabriskie Point, Mosaic Canyon Trail Run and Hike, Badlands Loop to Golden Canyon, Salt Creek for the Full Moon, and that was the wrap for Friday. Saturday, day three, reunited with the rest of the crew, trekked into a super windy volcanic crater, went back to Salt Creek in the daytime, explored Artist Drive and Artist Palette, went back to Golden Canyon for some off-trail rock scrambling, and finally visited Badwater Basin for sunset and the full moon. Sunday, day four, visited the Mesquite Sand Dunes to cap off the entire trip. And good Lord, just mentioning all that makes me so tired right now, but I have the biggest smile on my face because I was just able to experience it all and on all kinds of extremes. Also, just a side thought. I'm very grateful that I have a healthy and capable body to embark on these adventures that I do not take lightly. There are so many people that are not as fortunate to do these kind of activities due to certain health conditions, injuries, fitness levels, and so forth. So I preach this to you. Get on out there while you can and are physically able to. Seek discomfort. Get on out there. Explore. 
The inner outdoor explorer is embedded in all of us. You just got to unlock it inside of you. Whether that means just grabbing a hiking buddy, joining a hiking group, you know, whatever it is, just be a curious individual. Your body, your feet can bring you to the most unreal places. Like I always preach on the podcast, hiking is traveling. The only difference is you're exercising to get to the destination while enjoying the views along the way. This was expressed by my episode four guest, Paloma Esmaria, and it, tro- and it totally transformed my perception on hiking. All right, day one, Thursday, April 14th. Let's go. It was just Matt and I for the first two days. And uh, for those of you not too familiar, he's been pretty much my main peak bagging partner for doing all the challenging mountains, such as Iron Mountain, Rattlesnake Peak, Mount Baldy a bunch of times. Uh, We've even done the Fool's Traverse Challenge together, which is an 11 peak endurance challenge in the Mount Baldy area, hosted by our friends Traverse Outdoors. Uh, I think we've done most of the big Southern California peaks. Also, San Gorgonia, that's right, we did that as well. There's a bunch but uh, those are the ones off the top of my head. And uh, yeah, so it was Matt, actually, who is the one that curated this whole experience. And I must say, I'm very grateful for that. As I mentioned before, it's uh, I'm, I'm so used to the one doing all the planning and the curating for these group hikes and whatnot. But he got me covered and the crew covered for this specific trip. So we left Los Angeles around uh, 8 a.m. to head out to Death Valley. And that was really awesome because we didn't hit any traffic coming out. And uh, Matt had quite the day planned for us for day one. And just so that you all get familiar with uh, where Death Valley is, it's about four hours north of Los Angeles. It's east of like the Mount Whitney area, if you're familiar with that. And I must tell you, the drive is so epic. There is this, uh, when you enter like the general... Death Valley National Park area, the roads just look like they're going into like this endless abyss. And then you're weaving in and out of the mountains. And these are like really large scale, dramatic mountains. And there's just so much of like nothing, but everything around you at the same time. Like you'll be on this road and you just see nothing in front of you. And then all of a sudden you take this windy turn and all of a sudden you're literally driving straight into a mountain going in between it. And it's just like staring at you at the face. Like desert roads are just like, uh, feels like a time warp in a sense. Yeah. So, you know, we did the long drive all the way out to Death Valley. And, you know, as me and Matt were chatting in the car, I was just like, yeah, so what you got planned for us today? And he was like, yeah, we're definitely going to hike today. Um, Maybe do like a five to seven mile hike. Probably we'll do corkscrew peak. And I was like, okay, cool. Sounds chill, you know, five to seven miles. You know, it didn't even hit me in my mind that Corkscrew Peak might be something very difficult. I mean, like, hence the name. That's a very, like, serious-sounding name, right? Or a formidable peak. And um, I actually downloaded the off-trails map on our way to the on the way to the trailhead. And I looked at the stats real quick, and I was like, oh, this is kind of serious. Or very serious. It was uh, seven miles total. And 3,100 feet elevation gain. And I was like, what? So fast forwarding, we're finally in Death Death Valley National Park. And I'm just like really like tripping out at how large this whole area is because you just don't see anything. And you have to keep driving and driving hella far to like go to different landmarks. 
And I was like, oh, I see what Matt was talking about. So we decided not to just go straight to our campsite, which was at the Furnace Creek campgrounds. Matt thought it would be better if we just went to the trailhead, which would save a lot of time. Because, you know, if we went to the campgrounds, we would have, you know, wanted to set up, settle in, maybe get lazy, lose a bunch of hours. And it was already like the later afternoon. So Matt decided to just bring us straight to the Corkscrew Peak Trailhead. And we got there at around 2 p.m. And just visualize this, guys. It's just hilarious. So Matt is just driving on this desert road, driving and driving. And all of a sudden, he makes like a sharp U-turn and he just pulls over at the side of the road. And all of a sudden, we're in front of this sign, this brown sign that says Corkscrew Peak. And I'm like, Matt, are we, is this the trailhead? He's like, yeah. And I'm like, you're kidding me, right? I literally get out the car and I'm just like, dude, there's no trail anywhere. There's just literally this brown sign. And I kid you not, the uh, the place where you parked, it could only fit like two to three cars max. And I was just shaking my head like, this is hilarious. Of course he would do this to me, you know, because he's the one familiar with Death Valley. And I was like, damn, he's literally going to throw me straight into the fire. Like he's hazing me like. There is no trailhead. Like you can't even see a route that like goes to that mountain or that summit. You have to just kind of like in the beginning, you know, just find your way or have the offline map downloaded, which we both did, thank God. But you know, as we started getting ready, I was just laughing to myself. I was like, Matt, what are you doing, man? Like this is just day one. Like you want to just put me through the fire and he was just like laughing and I was just like okay this is gonna be an interesting uh hike for sure because like I mentioned it has the same uh stats as Rattlesnake Peak which is in the San Gabriel Mountains uh slash Angeles National Forest here in LA County and if you're not too familiar um Rattlesnake is like considered like the younger brother of Iron Mountain and Iron Mountain is like considered the hardest day hike in Southern California just to give some context to what I thought of uh um Corkscrew Peak, you know, what makes Corkscrew Peak so difficult, you know, if you look at the stats, again, seven miles, 3,100 feet of elevation gain is it's not necessarily the distance, but it's the distance with the elevation gain. Because if the hike is seven miles, that means it's three and a half miles up to the summit. That means that you have to do uh, 3,100 feet of elevation gain and three and a half miles and most likely, all that elevation gain is probably in the last two miles. So that means that you're doing over a thousand feet per mile. If you ever see that stat or ever calculate that on any hike, that means that section is a suffer fest. I repeat, suffer fest. And I could already tell this route was going to be like that because I was like, yo, the first mile or two here is just pretty much flat. Because you can actually see from the trailhead, Corkscrew Peak, it's a very recognizable peak. And it stands out from all its the, its surroundings. It just literally looks like this like rocky kingdom up there. And it's like saying, come and test me and see, come see what you're made of. And apparently, this hike is not in the Death Valley like visitor guides. Like, you know, when you go to a visitor center and they got the pamphlet and that it has all the different hikes you can do and the ratings, like easy, medium, hard. It was not even on there. Matt found out about this hike through All Trails app and was just looking for the hardest hikes in the area. And I was just like, oh, God, here we go. You know, it's not even recommended or it's not even mentioned. There's no one else around us at the trailhead. We're the only car parked there. 
we for sure were the only people on the trail because you could kind of see the trail and you're like, yeah, there's no one on this mountain. So it's going to be one of those uh, isolated treks, you know, through the desert mountains, like extravaganza. So, yeah, we got ready, prepped all our gear, our water, our snacks, and we embarked in the first mile. And the first mile was hilarious because we kind of not uh, we kind of got lost in the first like 15 minutes because it's not a like I mentioned, it's very easy to not find the faint use trail that eventually leads you to this wash that goes through the canyon and then connects to the ridge line that will lead you to uh, Corkscrew Peak. So the beginning is you kind of just have to wander and then use the offline map and then find this faint use trail. So already in the beginning, I was like, dude, screw you, Corkscrew Peak. Screw you, Matt. Like, what are you bringing me on? Like, this is uh, this is adventurous, but just hilarious all at the same time. Like, of course, this is how you would start the trip for both of us. Because if you're not too familiar with Matt, he's Mr. He's Mr. Adventure, Mr. Off-Trail, Mr. Scramble, Mr peak bagger spirit trail runner and a bunch of other superlatives so yeah i'm just following him and i'm like as we're getting deeper and deeper we finally find the wash that goes between these canyons and that and that's really cool i'm seeing all these different kind of cacti and then you know every time i look back or around me i'm just like oh man like there's no one else around us and there's like not too much around us at all at the same time and then eventually we're trekking through the wash and through the canyon and then it starts to ascend and the elevation gains start to commence. And I'm like, okay, here we go. Here's the fun part. And then we start trekking up this ridge, this narrow ridge. And it goes up and down like a mini roller coaster. And while you're trekking up, you can literally see the summit in the distance just staring at you. And I got a comment that whenever I do hikes like this, it's really cool and dramatic because, you know, I feel like a lot of the hikes I've done in the San Gabriel Mountains and other areas, you can't really see the summit just staring at you because a lot of these mountains, especially in the San Gabriels, its immediate surroundings are like other peaks or other areas that are like really tall, right? So you can't really understand like uh, how many feet you're really climbing up because sometimes you're going around the backside of the mountain doing all these switchbacks. But like this ridge just literally just goes pretty much straight and zigzags a bit like up the mountain and you're just staring at the summit the entire time. And you feel like you're not getting anywhere because we keep hitting a bunch of false summits. And as you all know, that's one of the worst things and torturous things as a hiker, hitting false summits and then seeing how much further you have to go and all the climbing you need to do and all the ups and downs. And I was like, okay, this is going to be one of those days. And then another thing that made the whole trail even much more difficult for myself was, so I brought my hiking poles because I knew it was going to be really steep. But the issue with my hiking poles were it the adjuster was like the screw that attaches to the adjuster was like both gone on each pole. And I wouldn't be able to tighten it up. Like, you know, like when you extend the pole or you make it shorter, you know, the the protocol is if you're going up the mountain, you make the pole shorter. And if you're going down, you make the poles longer. And I didn't have the screw on each of the poles to tighten it. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, oh, no, out of all the times, not on this hike. Like, this hike's going to be super nasty. It's super steep to get up. And then it's going to be super steep to get down. I want to save my knees, you know? So I managed to, like, there's, like, this little Velcro strap. And I was able to MacGyver the pole. And 
use that Velcro strap to tighten it in certain places, even though it kept popping out. So I made do with it and uh, was able to fix it enough that I was able to utilize the pole still. So yeah, so we're trekking up, we're trekking up, and the views are just getting more dramatic. We're just getting much more higher up there. There's much more rock outcroppings. And I'm just like, wow, like this is my introduction to Death Valley National Park. This is so rad. And then Matt is just, you know, galloping up the mountain. And I got to say, like, Matt literally thrives in the desert. Like, he never wears, like, sunglasses. He doesn't wear a hat. Like, his body is very heat tolerable. Like, he's trained his body and his mind um, to just, uh, well, I think he's always just been very heat tolerable, which is why he's able to do, like, desert hikes so well and so fast. And I'm tolerable to the heat, too. You know, I do sauna training as well, but not as much as him. Like he's just on another like level in terms of how he thrives in the desert. So yeah, he's just galloping along. I'm huffing and puffing and um, just asking him like, why, why? And he's just laughing, but you know, I'm, I'm enjoying this all at the same time. I love my supper fest. I love embracing the grind and pushing myself and pushing for the peak. Um, so yeah. So we take many breaks here and there. And then we eventually we get like pretty close to the summit, like we're more at the base of it and we have to do the last like mile. And that last mile was torturous. It's just like up and up and up like loose dirt and scree. Like the terrain was also very like, you know, it wasn't like a super like well-paved path road or like a fire road. Like it's like a real ass like desert mountain and super isolated. The hiking poles help out with tremendously. But the nice thing is when this last part, it's like on the backside or the side of the mountain. So we did have shade. So that was like the the nice gift that it gave us. So, yeah, as we're about to reach the summit, the views and the rocks are just so dramatic and spectacular. And it looks like we're entering this like kingdom, the corkscrew peak Death Valley kingdom up there. And as we're approaching the summit or like the near the top portion, I see this arch I was like, yo, that is so unique and rad. And then all these like really jagged like uh, rock outcroppings that were like basically saying, hey, you're almost there. You're about to reach the little kingdom up here and you're going to enjoy the views and bask and what will be your first trek of Death Valley National Park. And so eventually I reached the top where the arch was and my jaw dropped and I was like, wow, you could see so far out. You could see all the desert valleys, all the different mountain peaks. And I was like, Matt, is this the summit? He's like, yeah, pretty much. But we got to go a little further. It's actually up there. I was like, okay, cool. So we kept trekking up and trekking up. And we eventually reached the summit. And then my jaw dropped again. And I literally did like a 360 spin. And the panoramic views, everyone, were just so jaw dropping. And I, I must say, like out of my entire trip, now being able to reflect back on it, definitely my top two favorite views or vistas or overlooks of the entire death valley experience i could just see so far out and it was just you could really soak in how high up you were on the mountain because the immediate surroundings was the desert floor i love summits like this because it really gives you a perspective of how high up you are you know a lot of times when i do peaks in the san gabriels i'm not really able to understand how tall uh, we are up in the mountains because the surrounding, the immediate surrounding environment are other peaks, you know, so you don't get that perspective. You know, it definitely reminded me when I was up there of 
San Jacinto Peak, you know, but we were only like Corkscrew Peak is only about like, well, I don't want to say only. I mean, it's still very high up. It's uh, like 5,500 something feet, the top elevation. And when we were at the summit, I was like, oh, damn, there's a register box. And it's always so great to see a register box because it's like that symbol that, okay, this is the actual summit. And I opened up the register box and there was actually a corkscrew peak journal where you could write a little message and mark that you made it to the summit. And those are always really special moments. I actually don't do it too often. And it's definitely something I need to do more of, you know, log in that I was actually here because it's an accomplishment. Whenever you do these peaks, you never know when the next time you're going to be there. And it's a physical, mental accomplishment. You earn this view. You earn to be up here. You trained your body from all the other outdoor experiences, adventures to make a summit like this. So I made sure to write a little message in there. I think I wrote like, just Trek crew, what it do? What an epic hike. First time here. You know, thank you, Machete Matt, for bringing me here. And we probably hung out at the summit for a good hour, which was really nice because typically when I do like peaks with Matt, sometimes he just wants to stay there for like 15, 20 minutes. And then I'm like, are you serious, dude? Like, and I know that's his like trail running side of him. I notice a lot of my trail runner friends at times are, you know, they bag these big peaks and then they want to stay there for like 10, 15 minutes. And that's like the same amount of time it takes me to eat my lunch. It's like, God damn, can we like chill here for a minute and just really soak in the environment? But no, we uh, we were able to stay up there for like one hour and explore around, do some rock scrambling. There's some fun rock scrambling there. And we got some insane, insane photos of each other. And I'm sure Matt was very uh, appreciative of that because I know he does a lot of these adventures solo. So if you do it solo, you can't get those epic uh, summit shots a lot of times or just epic photos in general, unless he has a tripod and is setting it up and he's not really that kind of person. So yeah, we um, just soaked in the environment. I could even see telescope peak in the distance, which was snow capped. That's the tallest peak in death Valley national park. Um, definitely got our summit photos, brought out the sign, you know, blessed the register box with the hologram, just Trek sticker. and. I just couldn't believe that this was my first hike, you know, to experience Death Valley National Park. I was so happy and elated. I told Matt, like, yo, real talk, we could go back home now and I'd be happy. Like this mountain, this corkscrew peak is so fulfilling. And I just love doing peaks like this that not many people know about. You know, it's not in the guides. You know, it's not in any travel blogs that cover Death Valley National Park. I came to find out when I did some research on this area again. Like you'll just find a few YouTube videos and then you'll find it on all trails. And it's always so fulfilling to do a mountain or an area that is less traveled because it means you got to be more in the know. You have to have a certain kind of skill set level, you know, in order to reach these places that not many people are, uh, are able to make. Yeah. So after we did our thing up there, uh, we started to descend down. I want to say we uh, started descending down from Corkscrew Peak at maybe like 5.30 or 6 p.m., something around there. And as we started descending down, Matt saw this massive rock formation, and I already knew what was going to happen. He can't ever help himself. He decided to scramble up it, and it's, it was literally like a vertical rock climb, and he's good at that because he's also very tall. 
And I was like, oh, God, here we go. So we probably descended down from the summit no more than like five minutes. And he's already like rock scrambling near the summit again. So that took up more time. But I was able to get these absolutely jaw-dropping photos of him. Um, And I was like, wow, I wish I could go on that rock. But I'm much more like risk averse nowadays, I feel, because, you know, you have to understand, like, I love rock scrambling, but you have to understand also that if you scramble up, you have to be comfortable scrambling down. And when I was analyzing that rock or analyzing the quote unquote problem in uh, rock climbing terms, I was like, yeah, that's uh, too risky at the moment for me to try to down scramble that. I don't feel confident enough. So I just opted to take photos of Matt and uh, just watch him enjoy the views up there and then eventually scramble back down. And then we decided or not decided, then we started descending down Corkscrew Peak And this portion was really special because the full moon was out already and it was in like the blue sky. And I was like, how does that happen? Like the sun is out, the moon's already out. This was probably like 6 p.m. Sunset is at like 6, uh, is at 7.30 on this day. And I was like, okay, this is good. You know, even when it gets dark, the moon will be lighting down the pathway. So as we're descending the trail, you know, the first two miles going down is steep. Have to use the hiking poles. It's like loose dirt, loose scree. Very similar terrain to, I would say, like, you know, Rattlesnake Peak, Iron Mountain. And the the great thing was, you know, since at that part that we were descending, we're in the shadow of the mountain. We're in the shade. So um, as we're trekking through that, we could see in the distance, you know, all the different mountain layers in front of us lit up. And then the full moon rising above it or just actually already up. And I kid you not, I felt like I was in a Star Wars movie. And yes, they have filmed Star Wars scenes in many different parts of Death Valley, actually. I'm not sure which specific movies, but I was literally transported to Tatooine. I was like, this is a scene out of Tatooine. The moon is right there. All the sand dunes, all these desert peaks and mountains. And we took a bunch of photos and I was like, wow, this is this is such an unreal descent. And the nice thing we did also was, uh, you know, I'm slowly getting into my trail running journey. And so I was uh, able to do with Matt, like we were able to trail run some of the sections going down. And I must say, there's a lot of sections or I guess I started noticing of the whole Death Valley area in general, like the peaks. A lot of the ridgelines remind me of like Devil's Backbone. Devil's Backbone is this really infamous section in the Mount Baldy area that is just like a narrow ridge line with like sheer drop-offs. And we were doing like trail running of those kind of sections. So it was really fun to have the moon out, you know, trail running these uh, these narrow ridges and just getting down the mountain quicker. I think that's what's so beautiful about trail running. You can not only see more views and cover more distance quicker, but you get off the mountain quicker, right? Especially if you know that... Uh, you're trying to beat or you're trying to get off the mountain before it becomes completely dark or before a sunset. Right. So, yeah, we trailed run a bunch of sections down while enjoying, you know, the moon and the surreal landscape surrounding us. And then it was the last mile back to the car. And this is where like where we kind of got not to, not necessarily lost, but we definitely didn't go back down the same uh, route that we came up. And we were just kind of like navigating here and there. And there was like these red, the rocks were just changing so much colors as we were going down. And that's one memory that I always remember is just as we're descending from Corkscrew Peak, 
the mountains that just looked like gold or yellow in front of us started having these different like hues of like purple, orange. And I was like, oh, wow, this this Death Valley area is just giving us life and different views like as the night is coming. And I was like beginning to realize why Matt loves this area so much. Like I was getting a I was beginning a greater understanding of his love for Death Valley National Park. So, yeah, we're almost at the car. We're like, can't really see his car, you know? And we're just like trekking through this desert landscape. And eventually, you know, we see his car in the distance on the road. Of course, it's the only car there. And then as we reach his car, I go over to the brown corkscrew peak sign and I tap it and I say, thank you, corkscrew peak for safe passage. And I always do that if I can after like, you know, some of these hikes, they're very isolated and anything can happen for the experienced hiker. You know, you roll your ankle, you know, there's some wildlife out there possibly, or, um, you know, an injury or of whatnot can happen out of the blue. So I'm always grateful when I'm able to reach the trailhead and get back to the car in one piece. Like I definitely do not take that lightly because I've been on a handful of adventures where, um, whether it was either me or someone else where something happened and it just took so much longer to get back to the car. And I'm just gracious, you know, to uh, have completed another peak and in one piece. So we chilled at the car for a good 15 minutes, you know, grubbed, ate our snacks, ate our food and leftover sandwiches. And then the moon was just out lighting up like the road, lighting up the mountains. And I was just like, wow, what a day. Like, <laughs> What a day one already. And I was like, thank you, Matt. I appreciate you so much. Thanks for bringing us on this epic journey, you know, to, to jumpstart everything. So, yeah, we hopped in the car and then we made our way to Furnace Creek Campground, which is where our campsite was. So we got there, found our campsite, you know, started uh, setting up our tents and uh, just settling in. And it was just so beautiful there because the moon was right above us. And I was just like taking in the whole experience of the day. It was just like, wow, corkscrew peak. That was, you are quite the formidable mountain, you know, like that was a gangster ass peak. I was so proud that I was able to do it along with my crewmate. But yeah, uh, ate some more snacks and knocked the F out in the tent because it was just such a long day. You know, we left LA around. 8 a.m. and literally went straight to the trailhead at 2 p.m. and bagged a major peak. You know, I was spent, but I was just so happy and fulfilled. Um, so, yeah, I definitely slept good that night. And that caps off day one of Death Valley National Park. Corkscrew peak in the books. Let's go. Day two, Friday, April 15th. I am never going to forget this day. So much good and bad both happened to say the least. So let's get into it. Woke up around 5 slash 5.30 a.m. And uh, Matt wanted to bring me to Dante's view for the sunrise. And what's so special about Dante's view is that it has a bird's eye view of Death Valley National Park and is considered one of the best vistas in all of the park. So sunrise was like around 6.15 a.m., Woke up around like five-ish, you know, didn't even get time to really put on my contacts, just throw on my glasses, put some clothes on, and then uh, brought the essential gear, you know, for this uh, drive and sunrise hike. And 
Matt was just like zooming it on the desert road from Furnace, uh, from Furnace Creek Campground uh, because we were really cutting it close. But we did make the sunrise and we pulled into that parking lot, stepped out of the vehicle, and literally the sun just began to rose over the mountains. And I was like, wow. Well, you look at that. Good job, Matt. And this sunrise was just spectacular. And then as the sun was rising, um, I noticed Matt was like hiking up this hill. So I decided to follow him because we would get a better vantage point of the sunrise and also just of our surrounding, uh, just the surrounding views in general. So as I was just hiking up in my sandals, um, really just appreciating this sunrise and this hike overall, because I looked at it as like a decompression hike from the big mountain that we did before, Corkscrew Peak. So this was like a nice way to just ease into the morning. It was nothing crazy, nothing too steep. It was just like a, a decompression hike, I would say. Yeah, so we kept trekking up and up. And the thing that really captivated me besides the sunrise was that behind me, there was this massive, vast floor that had the uh, the Badwater Basin terrain. And I didn't know it was the Badwater Basin at the time, but I was just like, what is this extremely massive land that I'm looking at, at the ground floor? And it had like these different, like, it had these like huge parts that were just like white and then like brown. And I was like, I've never seen a landscape like that in my life. Come to find out later, it's the Badwater Basin, which is the lowest point in North America. Um, it is these below level salt flats. It's 282 feet below sea level. And that's why it looks like that. And as I was staring at the Badwater Basin below, I would look up and I saw this really tall peak and it was telescope peak in the distance. And it had the, uh, it actually had snow on it because it stands at like 11,300 feet. So it's a, it's no joke. There's some high elevation hiking out there in Death Valley National Park, if you're into that. And I was just like, wow, wow, wow. I couldn't stop looking at the Badwater Basin down below. And then we got back down from Dante's View, or at least from that hill that we went up. And then we went in the other direction, and we saw some signs such as uh, that were educating us on the terrain and the landscape. It was like, I think one sign said Telescope Peak in the distance. The other one was like the Badwater Basin and so forth and so forth. And we just strolled around in the other direction, you know, scrambled up some rocks, you know, sat on the ledges, just reflected, took a bunch of photos and videos. And it was just such a nice stroll out there. Like that overlook is just so great. Uh, you don't you just drive up to it. And then the hikes that you can take in either direction are really chill. You know, it's, it's spectacular for the sunrise. And I'm sure that it's spectacular for the sunset. Yeah, so we wrapped up there. I want to say we were there for like a little over an hour. Uh, we decided to head back to Furnace Creek Campground. But before we went back to the campsite, we actually stopped by Zabriskie Point, which is the famous and iconic vista that overlooks the stunning Badlands terrain and also the Golden Canyon and Lower Gulch Trails. And this area is famous for like sunrises, sunsets, and the full moon. So we made sure to just pull into this parking lot real quick, and uh, we made that short hike up the windy road. And as I got to Zabriskie Point, my jaw dropped. I was like, whoa, I've never seen rolling hills and canyons like this. It was like this infinite layer of like up and down, golden, yellow, orange burnt canyons in front of me. Definitely looked like a scene out of Star Wars and that there was 
pod racers. I imagined like pod racers going in and out of those canyons. And I was like, whoa, like, what is this place? Like, sure, this Zabriskie point is like touristy, but rightfully so. It was just so mind blowing. And I was just like, I've seen so many different landscapes, you know, in this short amount of time. And it's just crazy how, you know, the hottest place on earth, with, which has also the lowest point in North America, just has all these different uh, dramatic landscapes. And Matt mentioned to me that we would be back here later, but to specifically do the Badlands Loop and Golden Canyon and the Red Cathedral. So I got really excited. I was like, oh, hell yeah, I'm super, super down for that. I think he wanted to do it for sunset. So yeah, we wrapped up there real quick, took the photos, did our tourist thing, hopped in the car, and then we made it back to Furnace Creek Campground. And I want to say around this time, it was probably like noon, noon or so. And we took a short break at the campsite, gathered up the proper gear for the next adventure, which would be Mosaic Canyon. So the thing with Mosaic Canyon is it's this four-mile route, and its claim to fame is that it really showcases the unique geology of Death Valley National Park, as it has like mosaic conglomerates and polished marble rocks, and you're just trekking through this deep canyon, and then the canyon walls are just looming over you. It's pretty badass. So, so yeah, we were gearing up for that, and Matt told me, bring your trail running vest, and I was like, hell yeah, we're going to do this as a trail run. Like I've been getting into my trail running journey the past like year and a half, and I must say it's such a, such a fun skill set to develop because it feels like you're flying down the mountain, especially when you're descending. So yeah, we hopped back in the car, and we're off the Mosaic Canyon Trail. And the neat thing about um, arriving at this trailhead is you got to take a dirt road leading up to it. It's like 2.5 miles long. Uh, Matt has a Prius, so uh, it was still very doable with the Prius. But, you know, if you do have like an SUV or four-wheel drive, that would obviously be the most ideal. But it's definitely uh, doable to get there with like a, a normal car. Yeah, so as we arrived at the trailhead, you know, there's a bunch of cars there actually. And uh, yeah, we prepped all our gear, filled our water up, got our snacks. And um, the really funny thing happened. So as we got all our gear ready and we're leaving the car to head to the beginning of the trailhead, this old couple like approached Matt or at least the old gentleman did and was like, yo, like, wow, you look like a gladiator because Matt, when I know Matt's about to do like a trail run, he gets like into his, you know, his, uh, how would I say it? His outdoor uniform and he <laughs> which is funny because it's not much of a uniform he always goes shirtless he wears his bandana and then he has his trail running vest i think he had a solomon red trail running vest and then uh the couple was like hey can we take a picture with you so the the older gentleman had his wife take a photo with matt and he was like yeah you look like a gladiator where are you from it was just like the funniest conversation to overhear. I was just like, are you serious? Like, okay, <laughs> I guess. And uh, maybe they're from the Midwest or or the South, and they just never seen someone like Matt or whatever. But uh, that was a really funny start to the Mosaic Canyon Trail. And so, yeah, we got to the trailhead, and then the route is four miles total. If you reach the very end, there's definitely some like rock scrambling that you have to do if you want to reach the very end, which has a... The final destination is like a dry waterfall. And I was like, okay, we're going to do this uh, trail run. So yeah, started it off and it was exhilarating because we're like running by people and they probably all thought we were crazy because 
everyone's just leisurely hiking this this trail, you know, like you're just trekking through the canyons, really tall walls, stunning, like just geology surrounding you, like so many different rocks, different colors. And I just thought I was in this whole nother adventure. You know, I was just at an overlook Dante's view. And then the day prior, I was going high up and bagging a major peak. And this was a whole different experience. You know, we're, we're hiking through the canyon, we're running through the canyon. It just felt like such an awesome adventure. And as I was following Matt, he's always missed to go off trail, find the ridges. So I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to try to, you know, do my best to keep up with you and follow you. And then he went up this ridge and it was like so narrow. It must have been like two feet wide and I couldn't really run it. I could just like slowly jog it and then had to like be very conscious of like the winds that were like coming through so you don't get blown off. But I'm not going to lie. It was super fun to follow him. And then like we took this ridge which overlooked the main path down below all the way to this one section. And then Matt disappeared. Like he, I, I was pretty sure that he scrambled up to the top of the mountain where the ridge ended. And I was like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. So I decided to turn around and I tried to down scramble two sections, two sections to get to the main path. But as I got almost to the bottom, like you guys have to understand. So the rocks, in Death Valley and certain sections of the different trails, they look like dragon scales. So they're like really sharp and a lot of them break off. So when I was trying to down scramble the last part of uh, me getting off the ridge, I decided just to turn around and climb back up and just go further back to like a safer descent point because I was like, you know what? I'm not trying to risk injury. I'm having such a good time out here. I don't want to, you know, roll my ankle or like slide down the mountain and get a big cut. So decided to turn back. Went down a little bit, found a good descent point, and I was back on the main trail. And at this point, I was kind of tired because, you know, when you're trail running, it takes a lot out of you, especially if there's a, l- a little bit of elevation. And uh, I didn't, I wasn't with Matt at this point. He was off on his own adventure, I assumed. And I just assumed that he would turn back because I didn't really see a route when I reached the end of that ridgeline. Yeah, so as I'm going through the canyons, um, we reach this part where there's a massive boulder and it looks like you can't go any further, but that's actually the rock scramble section. And um, you have to like go around to the left side or to the right side and there's like a little hole where you can scramble up into and then it goes into a natural path, which is actually a normal path. And then it was there that map that Matt popped out of the blue. And I was like, of course, this is what always happens. Um, so yeah, we started trekking together through the canyons and it started getting more narrow and, uh, you know, it was getting a little hotter. So it was definitely like not trail running that section. It was just more or less, uh, just doing a brisk hike, brisk stroll. And the beautiful thing about getting deeper past that boulder that where it looked like the whole trail ended is that the rock here was so polished, polished to like, it was basically marble And so like to go up these rocks was really slippery. You had to, you know, do some like sideways, like climbing and scrambling in order to get over it. And it was really fun and exhilarating if you're, you know, like that kind of uh, adventuring or like rock scrambling. And I was just so astounded, like, wow, this rock is so smooth. Like, this is wild. It's it's essentially marble. (laughs) And then we made it all the way to the end of the trail. And it was like this really tall, dry waterfall, and you couldn't go any further. You would definitely, if you, you would have to be like Alex Hunnell to like go up this dry waterfall climb for sure. So yeah, we took our photos there, got some more content, and then we decided to do a trail run back 
um, to the trailhead. And that was so much fun, like following Matt through the narrow canyons, you know, sliding down those marble sections. And I was just having the time of my life uh, trail running through the canyon. And then, of course, Matt spots another like ridge in the distance. And I'm like, oh, God, here we go again. He's going to want to go up that and explore over there and then find another route to get to the trail or just, you know, just do exploring. I get it. So I was like, okay, fine. So we go off the main route again, and then we go up this steep offshoot route, and then it actually um, gives us an overlook of the parking lot. And we're like, wow, this is this ridge view is spectacular. We're just looking down on the people going through the canyon, and they're all staring back up at us, like waving at us. And yeah, we just soaked in the views up there. And, you know, it really is really fun, you know, exploring off trail. You just got to be responsible, responsible about it and know your, uh, you know, know your turnaround points and what you're comfortable with. And we've done a lot of that. So that's why I was OK with like following him. And yeah, so actually, so we went off trail, went up this ridge and kept taking it down and down and over and over. <laughs> and then we actually saw a, a faint use trail in the distance that would connect to the parking lot. So I was like, oh, that actually looks like very doable, like safe, not like a shortcut that's like sketchy and crazy. Right. So, yeah, we actually took this shortcut down to the parking lot and we bypassed the whole canyon and all the crowds. And that was really cool. And then when we got to the Mosaic Canyon trailhead um, and we got in Matt's car, he actually couldn't find his wallet. And he noticed that he felt that his car, he might have uh, he might have not locked his car and that the the armrest uh, glove compartment or the the armrest like pocket was like slightly open so he was like yo i think someone broke into the car and stole my wallet and i was like dude are you kidding me so at that moment it was such a such a damper you know we just had such a great time at mosaic canyon and we were just kind of quiet on the ride back we couldn't find the you know we searched around the car and, you know, his car was so packed with, like, different things. And it's uh, and the only thing that was stolen was his wallet because, obviously, like, these thieves or whoever we thought, uh, you know, they're not going to run off with all the stuff because it's really hard to carry. So that was a really, like, whack moment to have at the end of that trail run. And then, you know, eventually, you know, Matt, you know, was probably thinking, like, you know what, maybe I left the, the wallet somewhere else in the car or it dropped somewhere. So, yeah, we were just like, okay, let's not think about it until we get back to the campsite and then we can truly look thoroughly uh, through his car and see if he left it anywhere that he might not have realized. So, yeah, we went back to the Furnace uh, Furnace Creek campground where we also had to move to a new campsite within these campgrounds. And Matt searched thoroughly through the car. I helped him out. We couldn't find it anywhere. We literally cleaned out the car. And it was just like that realization that he just had to let it go. And it was just kind of this huge bummer. You know, he had his license in there. He had his credit cards, um, other things, you know, some cash, uh, you know, all replaceable. But, you know, especially the ID, that's such a hassle. The credit cards, debit cards, easy to cancel. So, yeah, he just tried to, you know, put things into perspective and just let it go. You know, we still had like two to three days there. So he didn't want it to damper the mood. So, yeah, so since we had to move new campsites, that meant that we needed to set up our tents again. And I got to tell you guys, setting, I'm a newbie like camper still. 
And so setting up my tent this time around was such a hassle because the actual campgrounds or the footprint that we were on was hard. It wasn't easy to place the stakes into the ground. Like it was actually extremely difficult. And you know how you use the rock to hammer in the stakes so that it, you know, stays grounded. Like it was literally impossible for me. Like I would get the stake in like one centimeter and me banging the stake with the rock just ruined the stake. It would like bend the bend the stake into like a curl. And I was just getting extremely frustrated. And at this point, it must have been like, I don't know, like 3, 4 p.m. or something like that. And I was doing it out in the sun and I was sweating profusely. And I was getting really frustrated. And, you know, I felt a bit burnt out setting up the tent, but eventually got it done. Uh, Matt helped me out a bit. And then I didn't really have a chance to take a break. And Matt was like, okay, are you ready? I'm like, ready for what? And he's like, we're going to go to back to Golden Canyon or the Badlands Loop, which is right next to Zabriskie Point. And I was like, no, dude, like, I barely have rested. I'm burnt out from this, uh, you know, setting up the tent. And yeah, I just basically chilled for 15 minutes. I was like, okay, fine. I'll just, I'll just drink my water, drink some liquid IV infused water, and then just, you know, suck it up and uh, get on out there with him to Badlands Loop and Golden Canyon hike. And I got to mention this. Um, so the way Matt operates when he's out hiking and camping or adventuring is he loves stacking adventures back to back. He's a very physically fit person. You know, he's vegan. Like he's just like this, like he just does so many things like which make him such an interesting individual. You know, he's a yogi. He does martial arts. He's a peak bagger. He's a teacher. Like he just does all these different things. Anyways, um, I, I wanted to mention that because that's how he operates when he's out at these national parks or he's out at these state parks. You know, he's really trying to maximize all the time he has. And I'm super down with that. But I think at this point, it was like I was getting burnt out. You know, we did a big peak the day before Corkscrew Peak. You know, we woke up this morning, did the sunrise hike, which was super chill. But then, you know, that trail run to Mosaic Canyon, you know, was definitely uh, a workout. You know, it was a bit hot there. Anytime I do a trail run, it's uh, very tiring. And then also we were doing off scramble routes. So that takes extra energy whenever you're rock scrambling and doing steep elevation uh, inclines. So, yeah, at this point, I was just kind of, you know, I was just tired, you know, I and, you know, I didn't have like a full lunch either. I don't think I had like the snacks such as like the, you know, the granola bars, the fruit, but not like a full on meal. Uh, Matt really wanted to bring me to Badlands Loop and Golden Canyon for another trail run and hike, because this is literally his favorite park of the whole his favorite part of the whole national park. And this was the time when the whole day just kind of flipped upside down for myself. And so we left Furnace Creek Campground, and then we arrived at Zabriskie Point, which is where we would park our car. And then we would go um, to the right of Zabriskie Point to the entrance of Badlands Loop. And as you all remember, Badlands Loop is like this landscape where it's like all the... Uh, rolling golden hills the yellow golden burnt orange hills and it looks like a star wars scene where like the pod racers are going deep through like the gulches and the canyons and he wanted to do this as a trail run and hike and this is the part of the trip that just got really intense for me uh let me explain so we started the badlands loop and i was following matt he was a uh, trail running it and so was i in the beginning 
and my jaw just dropped. I was like, wow, this is, this looks like the most fun place ever to hike and trail run. It's just all these infinite canyons and up and down hills. And as I was following Matt, I was just like, oh my goodness, here we go again. We were like going up and down these like really narrow ridgelines. Although it was super fun, like I kid you not, a lot a lot of parts of these ridges were literally like a foot and a half wide or two feet wide at the max. And I had to use a lot of my core or just not even trail run, just simply slowly hike to make sure that I don't like fall off to the side. Um, yeah, and that was really like exhilarating trying to follow him. But then I found myself just slowing down and it felt like much hotter the, uh, at this point of the day. I think it was like 4, 4.30. And the one thing I noticed that kind of worried me was that this route that we were doing, we were going like deeper into the canyon, but going like lower into it. And that should always be something you should be observant of, of any hike. If it starts going down from the very beginning, you're going to have the hike back up. So all the elevation gain is going to be on the way back up. And that's usually what catches people off guard and can really burn them out. So I definitely took note of that. And as I was following him on this trail run, you know, taking little breaks here and there, I was just like so captivated by the Badland slip. I was like, whoa, like literally just using my GoPro and just capturing so much content. And then Matt started going up this really sketchy ridge that I was just like, should I keep following him? And I was like, well, I do want to see the Red Cathedral that he keeps raving about. Well, I don't have to take this ridge, but I'll just go through it slowly and then... um uh, it'll meet back up. I'll meet back up with him. So yeah, I'm following him, following him. Everything's all good. And then we reached this point where we're just getting deeper into the canyon. And you know, like I have like two and a half liters of water on me, but it's like warm, so it doesn't taste very good. I made sure to drink my liquid IV before I even started this hike, just to, you know, hydrate myself with electrolytes and potassium. And just slowly out of the blue, I just started developing, like you know, just becoming more tired, you know, and the heat was just kind of getting to me more. I had my hat and I had my bandana underneath to cover myself, but I think I, I think I was starting to just like crash a little bit just because of all the adventuring that we had been doing ever since day one. You guys have to remember, like I bagged a major peak, Corkscrew Peak, the day before, which is equivalent to Rattlesnake Peak, and then throughout this whole day up until this point, basically did like a mini sunrise hike and then did a trail run and hike like just a few hours ago, and now we're here and it's like hot out. And we're going deeper into the canyon. And when you go deeper into the canyon and going lower, it's like a microwave. And this is when I started to feel like a bit like woozy a bit. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to stop trail running um, and give Matt a heads up. Like, hey, man, I don't think I'm going to keep trail running. I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to hike at a normal pace so I don't burn myself out. And so as we were hiking and going through all these canyons um, and all these different turns, I was like, Matt, like how much longer is like the Red Cathedral? And he was like, oh, it's not too much further. You know, it's like another mile, mile and a half. And which normally wouldn't worry me. But I was like, yeah, but we're going like down into the canyon and it's getting hotter. And it's starting to get to me. And there was definitely a moment where I was like, should I just stop here and, you know, turn back around and let him, you know, go to the Red Cathedral and I'll just call it a day and rest back at the trailhead. And I was like, um... You know, I seriously contemplated at that time. And I was like, you know what? I think I should be fine as long as I don't trail run. It was the trail running that made me feel really burnt out. So I was like, I'm just going to hike slowly and drink my water and just take my time and I should be okay. 
oh, man, I should have listened to my intuition at that point. So I kept following Matt deeper into the canyon. It's getting hotter and hotter. And then we start getting to this one point where the descent is pretty significant. And I was like, oh, shoot. Like, I know we're not like 10 miles in this canyon. We're only like, I don't know, 1.5 to 2 miles in. But we'd have to climb back out of this really like large decline or incline that we were starting to go down. And that's when I started to get worried. I was kind of like, I don't know if this is good for myself anymore. Like Matt's okay. Like he thrives in this environment. Um, he's solar powered, honestly, like he really is. And as we're trekking towards the, uh, the red cathedral, the canyons become much narrower. And so the heat really starts to get hotter. And I was like, ah, oh, shoot, like, this is not good. Like now I'm fa- starting to feel like tired, a little bit nauseous, a little bit dizzy, and starting to just develop these symptoms of, I guess, heat exhaustion or um, heat stroke at the time. I didn't really know what it was. I just know I just started not feeling good. So Matt's a bit in front of me, you know, because he has such a long stride and I'm just taking my time. And then we're trekking, we're trekking through these like narrow slot canyons. And I'm just thinking through my mind, like, oh man, like I don't, I don't like how these canyons are getting much more narrow. Like it was kind of giving me like anxiety a bit. And then um, I was following Matt, and he was a little bit in front of me. Then I took this turn, and then I couldn't find him anymore. I don't know what happened, honestly. And then there was this like other old lady behind me, and then we just started hiking through this turn, and then the, the slot canyon just got even narrower. And then although there was shade there, like the heat was just like trapped. So I was just like, okay. I'm going to keep going a little bit further. And if I don't see the Red Cathedral, I'm just going to turn around. Because at this point, I felt disoriented. I felt dizzy. I think my speech was slightly slurred. Um, My water wasn't really like, you know, it was warm. It didn't make me feel good. And I was just like sluggish, you know. So I was developing symptoms of uh, heat stroke slash heat exhaustion. And then I'll never forget this moment. I was like, shoot, I'm like by myself. There was a section where I was just solo and I was like, I feel like I'm going to pass out because the heat was at this point just really getting to me. I think it was like 5, 5.30 and I was by myself and that really like spiked my anxiety up as well. And I just had that like thought in my head, like, Justin, like you need to be around somebody because if you pass out, no one's going to know you're here. You know, because we we're like deep in the canyons to the point where there's not much people around. And, you know, and sunset is approaching and, you know, there's just going to be less people like this deep into the canyon. So I was like, shoot, Justin, like, OK, well, be aware of your surroundings. Keep drinking your water, you know, basically trying to talk myself through this, um, you know, all these symptoms that were greatly worrying me the, fir- the longer I was in the canyon and the longer I was by myself. And then I got to this point in the canyon where I was like, I think I saw the Red Cathedral above, but the scramble was really serious. I was like, I don't know if this is actually the right turn I took. It was like basically a straight up scramble, almost like a rock climb. And I was like, I cannot, I told myself, I cannot do this rock scramble because it's going to exert so much of my energy and I'm already dizzy and disoriented, and I feel like I'm going to pass out, that would be really stupid of me if I climbed up this this last portion. Like, I, I don't think something good will come of it. 
even if that is the red, red cathedral above me, I would expend too much energy. So it was at this point where the only person around me was this old lady was behind me. She had entered through the other side of the park uh, doing like this easy loop that would access, you know, where I was. And, you know, I started talking to her just so that I could calm myself down because I was freaking out that I was just by myself. And then, you know, chatting it up with her, just trying to, you know, stay, um, you know, present and like distract myself from the symptoms that were happening. And then I told her, I'm like, hey, I'm not going to go any further. I don't know if you should, too. This is a, <laughs> this last portion is a straight up climb. And she was like, oh, yeah, it is. OK, let's all turn around. So as we started walking back towards um, the main trail, Matt finally popped out of the blue. And he was like, dude, like, what happened to you? And I was like, dude, what happened to you? We were so confused how we even lost each other. I guess there was like a turn where like there was like you could either go either direction and we just missed each other or I just missed the turn. And then he was like, yeah, we're almost at the Red Cathedral. And I told him, I straight up told him like, Matt, I don't feel good. Like, I'm going to turn around. Uh, you can keep going. Uh, maybe I'll catch a ride with this old lady to the trailhead. I don't feel good. He's like, oh, are you sure? Like, we're really almost there. And then actually, that's when like my, all my symptoms just got worse. Like, my anxiety spiked. My heart rate went up. I felt more dizzy. You know, I just was like, uh, my hands, the thing that really worried me too was my hands and my arms started feeling tingly. And I was like, okay, that cannot be good. I'm definitely suffering like uh, symptoms of a heat stroke right now. But I didn't want to acknowledge that in my head because that would freak me out more, you know, just trying to calm my, my mind down and my body down. And I literally verbalized to Matt. I said, Matt, I need you right now. Do not leave me because I'm worried. Um, if you go and bag, you know, Red Cathedral Rock and you leave me by myself here, I'm my anxiety is going to spike as well. And I don't know what's going to happen because at this point, like, I really felt like I might be passing out. And he was kind of like taken aback. He's like, oh, OK. Uh, and I was like, yes, please just get me out the canyon. I don't feel good. Um, I'm really worried because we have a ton of elevation gain to get out of the canyon. I would normally just go back out myself. But if I just pass out, like no one's going to know, like I need you by my side. And he was like, okay, okay. So yeah, so we started doing the uh, hiking back, you know, up all these really steep hills. And I just felt like I was just, you know, I was literally trekking through the desert. You know, when you, you know, in the movies, when you see those people like going through the desert and they see like mirages, I'll just, that's how I felt. I felt sluggish, you know, I felt like disoriented my hands and arms are tingly. And just all these different symptoms and my heart rate was higher. And I was like, oh, shoot, man. And then, you know, Matt gave me a goo gel, you know, to help me out that I felt a little better from that, but only slightly, you know, I was drinking my water more frequently and we were just trekking and trekking. You know, he was checking on me like, hey, how do you feel? I'm like, yeah, man, like we got to get out of here. Get me out of here safely and back to the trailhead, please. Like uh, I definitely need you right now. And I I'm normally usually with me and Matt adventure. I'll be like, yo, go ahead, bag that thing. I'll be here, come back or whatever. But I knew just deep down inside, I was like, I need to verbalize him. I need to verbalize to Matt explicitly that I really, that this is very serious right now. Like this is a very serious situation. Otherwise, you know, how is he going to know how I actually feel? And, you know, these are one of the key lessons I want to share with you after I share the rest of this story, you know, like 
be explicit with how you feel, you know, verbalize it, you know, to the person or people that you are with. Otherwise, they're not going to understand the gravity of the situation. So we're hiking back up through the Golden Canyon Trail, through the lower gulch, and now we're back in the Badlands Loop area. And I'm just like sluggishly hiking along. And then we eventually reach Zabriskie Point and the parking lot. And we reach Matt's car and I'm like, dude, I need, I felt miserable. I was like, dude, I need to pour water on my head. And he had like this big jug of water in the back. So I poured water on my head, on my neck. And that was, that felt really nice. That calmed me down a little bit. And then I just had like this, like headache that just kept kind of growing, you know, it wouldn't really go away. And, you know, I sat in the car, drank more water, and then I thought I felt okay, you know. And at this point, you know, we wanted to also check out the full moon, and we agreed that we were going to see the full moon at Salt Creek, which was a recommendation given by us by a ranger at the visitor center. So we hop in the car, you know, I think I feel okay, but I'm not really sure. I'm just kind of disoriented. And we're going to Salt Creek, and we eventually get there, and... And I get out of the car, and I'm never going to forget this. Excuse me. I get out of Matt's car, and during the whole ride, I was, like, feeling better because I had, like, the breeze. I had the window down, like, you know, going against my face. So I thought I was going to be okay. But when I got out of his car, my heart rate got higher, and I had more of a shortness of breath. And then I started doing this huffing and puffing like for the next like 30 plus minutes that was freaking me out. And it, I literally sounded like this. And I did this for 30 plus minutes, guys. And I'm pretty sure like I was just freaking out, Matt. And I was walking around in a circle just trying to like calm my body and stabilize my heart rate. But it just wasn't happening. And it was at that time and I was like, shit. I'm suffering from a heat stroke and that started to worry me and spiked my anxiety up as well. And then Matt tried to calm me down. You know, I eventually sat on the bench there and he said, put your knees, put your hands on your knees, breathe in through your nose, hold it for three seconds, then breathe out. And I did that for like two reps. And then like the next time I did it and I held my breath, like my whole body just like freaked out. Like I was like, Matt, I can't do that, bro. Like, I'm sorry. I have to walk around. And I need to breathe like this. Like, that's the only thing that's like keeping me from like feeling like I'm going to actually pass out in front of you. So he's just watching over me, making sure that, you know, like if anything happens, he's right there next to me. And dude, I'm not going to lie. Like I had a thought go through my mind. I was just like, shit, like I might pass out right now. Like, I hope am I going to see like my family? You know, like that thought really went through my mind because all these symptoms, you know, just mixed in just greatly worried me. I'd never really felt like this before. The last time I felt like I was going to pass out was when I did Iron Mountain in the summer. I was one mile from the summit and I was just woozy and dizzy. But this one was much more scarier because of like the the shortness of breath, the heart rate spiking, you know, and all the other symptoms like my hand and arm just feeling tingly. And then it was like, I told Matt, I was like, okay, look, let's walk on the Salt Creek Trail because it was, it was just a flat. And I feel like I'll let you know if it gets worse. And then we can just turn around. So we started on the Salt Creek Trail. And as I was doing it, you know, I was just breathing all weird, like throughout the entire time. And then 
it was like the weirdest experience because we experienced the full moon at Salt Creek and it was so surreal and beautiful. So here I am staring at the full moon, looking at this gorgeous site and my gorgeous surroundings. Like Salt Creek actually has water with rare fish in it. So the contrast and the reflection of the water and the moon was just so magical. And then, but while I was having this magical experience, I was like dying inside and like worried about if I was going to pass out. So it was like this crazy oxymoron of an experience for myself. And as we kept uh, walking along the, the the Salt Creek Trail, my heart rate began to like slowly stabilize. I, I didn't feel that great, but it was slowly stabilizing. And I started like, you know, talking to Matt more and just like basically trying to calm my mind down and like, you know, just, you know, do my best to not freak out. And eventually, like after 30, 45 minutes, like my heart rate stabilized to a point that I felt a little better and I wasn't like as worried about passing out. And then we got back to the car and I was like, okay, Matt, like I, I feel a little better now. I'll let you know if it comes back or gets worse. And then I was just trying to tell, talk to myself. I was like, Justin, you're, you're good now. Like you're going to be fine. You're going to get back to the campgrounds where you're going to be able to properly rest, eat, drink water, and you'll be good. Everything will be all good. And that definitely helped me out. Like, you know, talking to myself like a crazy person. And yeah, so we hopped in the car and we went back to Furnace Creek Campground. And then when we got to the campground, you know, Matt made me some food, ate that, you know, just was decompressing. And then finally, like my heart rate was like much more stable. And I was just like, dude, that was that was freaky. Like I almost passed out in the canyon a few times. And that was a very humbling moment for myself, you know, like. Like, this is a desert landscape. I know it's not the summer, but it was still, like, hot out there, you know? We were out there doing a trail run in the exposed sun in between canyons around, like, 4 slash 5 p.m. And, you know, Matt thrives in this. And um, I wouldn't say I thrive in the desert, but I thought I would be okay, you know? I do a lot of sauna training and whatnot, but not to the degree that Matt trains, you know? And it was crazy because that same night was when the rest of our crew, Linda, Jade, Francis, and Jen, would come into the campsite. So they got in pretty late. Um, I want to say they got in around 11 slash 12, I think. And by that point, I was just completely spent and dead from the past, from that, from today and then the day prior, Thursday and Friday. Like I had just done so much. I did Corkscrew Peak. I did a sunrise hike in the morning. I did a Mosaic Canyon trail run and hike. I did this uh, Badlands Loop trail run and hike with Matt. And then we did Salt Creek for the full moon. Like all these back-to-back-to-back adventures just, I feel, culminated in what I would say was my heat stroke and all the symptoms that I was feeling. And so, yes, as the crew started trickling into the campsite, I was just so grateful to see them. And then I told them, like, yo, straight up, um, if you guys need help with anything, like setting up your tents or moving anything, I won't be able to help. Like, I have to sleep right now. Like, I'm dead. Like, I am completely destroyed. And they were, like, kind of taken aback because I never say stuff like that usually. Like, But I was like, yeah, guys, sorry. Like, I don't want to get into the whole story now, but I had a really uh, scary moment earlier, you know. And I'll explain it to you guys later. And they were just so like, what happened? Like, they were so intrigued, yada, yada, yada. 
I think Matt told them a little bit of the story. But yeah, I knocked out, you know, as soon as they arrived. And that was day two. It was just, it was a lot. Day three, Saturday, April 16th. Thank the Lord. I felt so much better this morning. And I was just simply excited to be with the rest of the crew and that I didn't need to go on any more crazy adventures with just Matt. Oh, man, what a crazy and wild two days that was. It was nice to know that we wouldn't be overexerting ourselves and just would be doing more exploring, not testing our physical or mental fortitude like I was with just Matt. And don't get me wrong, it was very exhilarating up into a certain point, you know, and that's the key learning, especially in places such as the desert and obviously Death Valley National Park, like one of the hottest places in the world, you know, overexertion is going to lead you to heat exhaustion and heat stroke. And I unfortunately had to find that out the hard way. And I consider myself a very experienced hiker. You know, I've done a lot of really difficult things in the heat. But, you know, it was uh, me just doing back-to-back-to-back adventures and not having proper rest and refueling maybe as... uh, And maybe not refueling as best as I could in between was a recipe for disaster for myself. So yeah, for this morning, I woke up around like 5, 5.30 a.m. And I noticed that the crew was getting ready to go to Zabriskie Point. But I decided to just hang back and just have the morning to myself and just rest more, you know, and just reflect, have my green tea, walk around the campsite and just have some alone time, you know. I also just wanted to get extra rest in because I knew that we had an action-packed day ahead of us and that we would be going to more of the, you know, the more frequented landmarks of Death Valley National Park, such as Artist Palette, Badwater Basin, and much more. I was really excited for Badwater Basin, and I knew we were doing it for sunset, and that was like definitely one of the touristy things that I had to go to because I've seen so much content, you know, on social media of just how unreal that landscape looks like. And I'd never also been to a salt flat in my life, so that was going to be a first. So when the crew came back, I want to say it was probably around like 8 slash 9 a.m., you know, we had some breakfast, and then we slowly geared up to get ready for our first adventure of the day. I didn't even know where we were going until I got into the car. This time around, we split into two cars, three people in each car, and apparently we were going to a volcanic crater, which is called Ubi Hibi, Ubi Hibi Crater. And it was actually kind of far from the campgrounds. It was like one hour away, but boy, was it an adventure. So when we got to the destination and we stepped out of the car, it was super duper windy, like on the outer rim of the volcano crater. It must have been like 40 to 50 mile per hour winds. Like I had to immediately, you know, put on my windbreaker And the rest of the crew was also just shocked at how strong the winds were. Like you could literally lean into the wind and it would hold you upright for like a second as if like you're doing that Michael Jackson move, if you know what I'm talking about. And we saw that people were able to actually hike down all the way into the crater, into the center. And I was joking. I was like, that's probably, this is definitely where Machete Matt was born and explains why he's so like tolerable to the extreme heat and just thrives in the desert. So as we got the proper gear on, you know, I was even able to bring my Just Trek wooden sign. Shout out to Eunice for making that sign for me. I believe her Instagram handle is like Eunice V 
uh, painting signs, something like that. Definitely check her out. She makes a lot of signs for people in the community, different hiking groups, and also for different summits. So after we loitered around the the top of the volcano or the rim, we all decided that we were going to hike down into the middle. And I actually let the rest of the crew go down first. A bunch of the dust from the uh, the wind was like catching all the dust and like blowing it into my face. So I had a hard time breathing. And that kind of like triggered how I felt a bit the day prior with the whole heat stroke thing. So I just told myself today, like, you know, just monitor your body. Just take your time. You know, don't do anything if it makes you feel a certain kind of way. So, yeah, I took like five, ten minutes and then I was like, okay, I feel better. And so I did a trail run all the way down to the middle of the crater. And that was so much fun. And the terrain was like this rocky kind of sand. And uh, yeah, so I got to the middle of the crater, met up with the rest of the crew, took a bunch of content. And Matt and I actually even danced in the middle, like, which was a really cool experience. I'm going to have to show you guys that content like on the Instagram stories or something. So yeah, we were just taking in our surroundings. And I was just literally tripping out again. I was like, how in the world am I in a completely different landscape? You know, yesterday I was in like a Salt Creek area and then I was in between these like uh, crazy uh, Star Wars landscapes going in between gulches and canyons and like scrambling up. And then the day prior, I was on top of a major peak. I was just like, wow, Death Valley got it all. Like so much dramatic, different landscapes in such an extremely hot place. After we enjoyed ourselves in the middle of the crater, um, we had to hike up out of it. And this was pretty difficult because, you know, it was easy coming down. But since we had to hike up and the terrain, like I mentioned, is like sandy, one step up felt like two steps back. So we definitely had to focus and it was definitely a leg buster. But we eventually got out of there and got to the top of the volcanic crater again. And then the winds were picking up and we were like, "Okay, it's time to get out of here. So at this point, we were heading back to Furnace Creek Campground, but we noticed that Matt took a detour turn, and it turned out that we were going back to Salt Creek in the daytime. As you all remember, uh, the day prior, that's the exact area where I was having my shortness of breath, my heart, my heart rate spiked up, and then I was experiencing the full moon at the same time. So I was like, oh, we're going to come back here, but for a completely... <laughs> completely different like part of the day and uh i was just tripping out i was like man this is where i was suffering from my heat stroke i have to go back there again but i knew i was with my friends and that i felt a lot better from the day prior so yeah the really neat thing about coming to salt creek in the daytime was that i was actually able to observe the pupfish the rare pupfish that reside in the water and that in its own is such a cool moment um, it's just wild to think that these fish can even thrive here. And it's even more wild that, that there's even this much water in this creek. Like, how is this even possible in such a hot place? There was a lot of interpretive, uh, interpretive signs that ed educated us on the immediate landscape. And it was like a nice nature stroll for the whole crew. So we walked around, enjoyed ourselves, and then we were back in the car. And then we headed back to Furnace Creek Campground. And I couldn't really tell you what we did at Furnace Creek Campground. We probably made ourselves some lunch, you know, dilly-dallied around, were lazy. But I knew that we were also slowly gearing up for the action-packed afternoon. I knew that we were going to be hitting up the Golden Canyon again, you know, Artist Palette, uh, Badwater Basin for sunset. I was super excited for this one since 
I've been uh, seeing the Badwater Basin content for like years on my Instagram. And I'd never been to a salt flats. And I was really excited to just see um, a new site and experience a new landscape once again. So after we were done at Furnace Creek Campground, you know, and we filled our backpacks up and had all of our essential items that we needed for the rest of the day, because we knew when we left Furnace Creek Campground at this time, we were going to be out for probably a good like five, six hours, most likely. So we had to prepare accordingly. Yeah. So after Furnace, after we were done with Furnace Creek Campground, our first destination of the afternoon would be Artist Drive and Artist Palette. And wow, it lives up to the hype, y'all. Like the artist drive itself is just magical. Like you're going through these rainbow colored canyons and you're just like, wow, like how is this here? You know, like it's such a long drive from like the Furnace Creek campground is really deep within Death Valley National Park. And then all of a sudden, like these colored canyons just kind of pop out of the blue. And you're like, how did this happen here? You know, there's so many different colors. There was red orange yellows blues pinks and greens that were just splashed all across the hills especially in the artist palette area which you're able to um uh there's a little parking lot there and you can actually explore the hills and that was a really special moment out there with the crew you know we definitely spent a good amount of time there probably like an hour just like soaking in like the colored hills like it was really trippy and I know Matt took a disco nap on top of this one like cliff area as we were all just exploring around. We got some super epic photos here. And it was just like a lot of relaxing, actually, an artist palette. And a lot of uh, a lot of us doing some solo exploring and also chit chatting with, uh, you know, fellow trekkers that were also exploring the canyons. So after we were done there. Matt actually wanted to squeeze in visiting Golden Canyon once again. If you guys remember, Golden Canyon is the exact area where I started feeling a lot of the symptoms of my heat stroke. So I was actually feeling very anxious. I was like, oh, God, do we really have to go back there? But I told myself, like, if you don't feel comfortable, you know, just wait at the trailhead while they do their exploring. You know, the thing I didn't want to happen was, Although my body felt good and everything, like I didn't want some kind of weird trigger to happen where like my anxiety spiked and I was having all those memories and how I felt, you know, the day before. So, yeah, we got to Golden Canyon. But this time, the place that we parked was on the opposite side because the day prior when we did Golden Canyon, we entered through like the Zabriskie Point and we went down like the Badlands Loop down to like Lower Gulch, down to Golden Canyon and then we're trying to make our way to the, red, the, to the Red Cathedral. But this time we parked in an area that was actually like very close to the Red Cathedral. And it was only like a two and a half mile hike if we decided to go there. So um, we were on the opposite side of it. So yeah, so we started going into Golden Canyon. And I was wondering if we were actually going to go all the way to the Red Cathedral. I was just like being anxious. And as we were entering the canyon, I was like, wow, yeah, this place is epic. Like these towering canyons just looming over us. And then Jen, Linda's sister, I noticed that she made a left into this like off trail slot canyon like route. So we all ended up just following her. You know, this must have been just like 0.3 miles into the Golden Canyon hike. And we were like, okay, let's just follow her. And yo, this was such an awesome rock scramble adventure. Like we were basically uh, rock scrambling through this like slot canyon area and we were getting higher and higher and higher. 
And then there will be certain points where you could scramble up to like the ledge and you can actually see the top of the canyons and see the parking lot. And that was such a treat. Like we just kept repeating that over and over, just climbing higher and higher and then going off to the side on another ledge and another ledge. And that was super exhilarating. It was just nice to do like I, what I mentioned before, like we were just exploring. There wasn't necessarily a destination, you know, we had to go to. And Matt told us we only had one hour here anyway, so we were just making the most of it. And then a funny incident happened. So while they were all, you know, on the ledge or on this like overlook, you know, I decided to uh, go back down, but then keep climbing up a little further and then I noticed I didn't hear them behind me. So I was like, okay, they well, they probably went back down to the main trail, like at the canyon floor and are heading back to the car since I knew we only had an hour here. So as I was like descending from the slot canyon, like rock scramble, I couldn't find them anywhere. And I was like, what the hell happened? Like, damn, they must have been really fast. So I got to like the canyon floor and then I started trail running back to the car. And then I was like, why is no one at the car? And then I was like, you know what? I have a feeling that they went down, but that they went up another route. And I was like, are you kidding me? So I look up and I'm observing like, you know, the different like mountain faces. And I was like, oh, there's Matt up there. Look like he's meditating up there. And then I saw the rest of the crew. I was like, dude, like what happened? So then I literally did a trail run back from the car to that off trail route and then caught up with them as they were coming down. And I saw the area that they made another turn. And I was like, oh, wow, this this view from up here is so epic. We could see like out far out into the distance, like this marshy green area. We could see the parking lot. We could see the jagged like pinnacle rock formations just jutting out from all around us. And that was really fun. But then I made myself tired because I came back to find them and hang out with them more. So, yeah. So eventually we all got off of the Golden Canyon area, went back into the car, and now we were on our way to the Bad Water Basin for sunset. So as we were on our way in the car, my excitement, I just, I felt like I couldn't hold it in because I was like, oh, this is like perfect. We're going to cap off, you know, pretty much the end of this trip with the Bad Water Basin for sunset. Like that just sounds like heaven to me. So we finally pull up to the parking lot. And we can see far out into the distance, the salt flats, and we can see the sun setting over this massive mountain range. And I swear to God, guys, it did not look real. Like when I got out of the car and I saw people like, you know, walking into the vast salt flat area, it looked like everyone was making some kind of like religious pilgrimage, uh, walking towards the sun setting over that mountain range. And then the ground, it's salt. Like the ground formations and the salt just looked so dramatic. You know, it looked like there was snow. And that was like the weirdest and coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. You really, when you're walking on the on the salt flats out there in the Badwater Basin, you truly start to internalize and experience the vastness of the desert. Just like straight up other planet vibes. And a really cool thing is when you're walking on the salt flats and if you turn around, you'll see etched into a mountain, there's a sign that says sea level. And that indicates that you are below that sign. You're 282 feet below sea level. And I was like, wow, like we are out here. We're 
out here in the lowest point in North America. Like, how cool is that? And there was all kinds of people here. There was families, there was influencers, there was hikers, there was old couples. Like, it was a great place to gather with so many diverse amount of people. And it wasn't too overly crowded. That's what I really enjoyed about it. And we were there during the sunset. Um, so we were able to experience that. And it just seemed like there was a, it was less crowded, I would say. So we were also here because we wanted to uh, experience the full moon. And so that's why we actually stayed here for like one plus hours. And we tried to hike as far into the middle of the salt flats as possible. But we decided to turn around at one point. And then as we were walking back slowly to the uh, parking lot, we weren't really going back to the parking lot, but we were just walking slowly back. You know, a bunch of us just sat on the ground and appreciated like hardcore this unique terrain that we were on. Like the salt, like like I said, looks like snow. And then if you like uh, wander off a bit from like the main salt flat area, like there's these crazy like hexagon like pods that you can like sit in because like the crust is like risen up. And that was probably one of the coolest things. Like Matt showed us like, if you're if you ever go to this area and you're starting the beginning of the the walk, go all the way to the right and that's actually where like the ground looks most dramatic, like where the crust is like risen up and then the salt flats look like just like unreal, like a like a crazy looking terrain. And then uh while we were waiting at the salt flats after we got some content, you know, we just sat on the ground and stared at the mountain and we're waiting and we're waiting for the full moon to rise over it. And as we were waiting, uh, Matt came back to us because he did some exploring, he had to use the restroom or something. And he was like, yeah, I don't know. The moon is definitely going to rise over that mountain that we were staring at, but it's taking really long. And we're like, oh, no, like we don't want to be here like for the whole night. You know, it's like a bunch of us were like getting hungry. You know, we're thinking and we're fantasizing about the food and snacks we were going to eat back at the campsite. So after we waited for a while, we were like, okay, we called it a day at the uh, Badwater Basin. And then we uh, were walking back to the car. And at this time, it was nighttime. But the really beautiful thing is now the sky is lit up with just all the stars and the constellations. And then we ended up staying longer because we were just so in awe because the starry skies in Death Valley National Park are just next level. And we were looking up at the sky and it was just blinking so much i was like wow like planet earth the sky the universe was just so beautiful in that moment like i feel like we were all just having our own spiritual experience so after we soaked all of that in we finally got back to the car and it was dark and the moon still wasn't risen over that mountain that we were staring at and we're like you know what it's okay guys we'll probably see it on the drive back to the campgrounds so we hopped in the car and it was such an action packed day. Like what I mentioned, you know, we saw the artist drive, artist palette. We did Salt Creek. We had the volcanic crater and there's some other things I'm probably blanking out on. And then a lot of us I noticed were just extremely like, you know, we we're out of it, but really happy, like on the drive back to the campgrounds. And then I just knew in the back of my mind, I was like, I'm going to keep looking behind me because I know the moon is about to rise over those mountains and I'm probably going to freak out. So maybe a good like 20 to 30 minutes into our drive back to Furnace Camp to Furnace Creek Campgrounds, I look behind me 
and I see the full moon rising over the mountains and it looks so spectacular. And I'm just like, yo, it's happening. And then the whole, and then everyone in the car looks behind them. And then we all start like freaking out over the moon and we literally pull over to the side and we just take in this moment and watch the moon rise over the mountains. And we were just like, wow. It was just like so stunning, so bright, so clear. And we definitely pulled over and just hung there on the side for maybe a good like 15, 20 minutes and just reveled in that moment and just appreciated life. After that, we knew our day was just fulfilled, you know. Uh, we got back into the car and now we were just all talking about the food we were going to make at the campgrounds. And I know a lot of the crew, they brought like a lot of, uh, you know, Mexican ingredients. Apparently we were going to make tacos. You can never go wrong with tacos. Tacos all day, every day. So as soon as we got to Furnace Creek Campground, it actually felt not too long um, to get over there. Everyone just started uh, getting ready to prep all the food so that we could eat some delicious tacos. And we were just snacking. You know, we were drinking. We were just reminiscing about the day and just ready to grub. And it was a special like family moment. You know, it was me, Matt, Francis, Jade, Linda, Jen. You know, I was just very appreciative in that moment that I was able to experience all these, uh, you know, all the adventures today with all of them. Because, you know, at the end of the day, that's what life is about. You know, sharing experiences, sharing adventures with others so you can live the most memorable life. Like, don't get me wrong, like the solo adventures are incredible or are much needed, you know, to fill ourselves up, to heal, you know, to get back to ourselves you know, to build ourselves back up. But then at the end of the day, if you can share, you know, life with other people, share experiences, you know, that's what makes it truly special. So yeah. So finally, all the food is prepped. We had our carne asada tacos. We had guac. We had the whole shebang. And then I just remember after I ate everything, I just knocked the F out. I was just like, good Lord, these past three days have been wild. Day four, Sunday, April 17th. This was our final day here, and we would spend a few more hours in the morning breaking down our campsite, loading up the cars, and doing a little more exploring before heading back to Los Angeles. And I'll never forget when I woke up this morning, I literally was thinking to myself, what in the world happened this entire weekend? I had a difficult time remembering all the places we explored because it just all felt like one big desert blurry mirage, if that makes any sense. It all felt like a dream. Some of the crew headed out to Dante's view for the sunrise that morning while I decided to stay back at the campsite while Jade was just passed out in the tent. And I just took this time to break down my tent and organize all my belongings so by the time the crew came back, I could just relax, conversate, and help them with anything else. And so once the crew came back, Everyone started organizing all their belongings, loading up the cars, and we had one last mini adventure left, which would be the Mesquite Sand Dunes. So once we were all loaded up, we bid our farewell to the Furnace Creek campgrounds and we're on our way. And once we arrived at the Mesquite Sand Dunes, I was just super excited because I don't ever recall ever being at one before. And what made the Sand Dunes area really unique was the backdrop of the mountain ranges. I was talking with Linda. She's actually the same person who designed the Just Trek logo and is the episode two guest on the podcast. 
And I know she had been to White Sands National Park in New Mexico with Francis, Jade, and more of our other friends. And although she said the sand dunes in White Sands National Park are so much more beautiful because of how fine the sand felt over there, as if sugar was running through your hands, she said that it lacked the mountains that were present here at Mesquite Sand Dunes. And that very contrast alone made this area unique. So we hiked up and down the sand dune hills, took fun content of one another. Matt and I ended up doing b-boy or breakdancing poses while Francis captured photos of us in our element and got some super epic shots of us. Francis was actually our episode 13 guest on the podcast and is a very talented creative as a photographer and videographer. He's also been to a ton of national parks. So after we wrapped up our fun at the sand dunes, uh, we all decided to meet at the nearby gas station to refuel and say our final goodbyes. When we got to the Stovepipe Wells gas station and we were all fueling up and checking out the general store, the craziest thing happened. So remember how Matt thought he got his wallet stolen at the Mosaic Canyon Trailhead? Well, at the Stovepipe Well General Store, we decided to ask the cashier if by any chance a wallet was returned here. And the lady mentioned that there's nothing here, but that if anything was found, that it would be across the street at the register's office near the restaurant. So Matt went ahead over there. You know, we weren't thinking much. He was just doing his due diligence. And then the rest of the group and myself were just snacking and loitering around the general store. And then out of the blue, Matt starts walking over to all of us, waving his brown wallet. And I literally screamed, no way. Are you kidding me? And we were just all in shock that he was so fortunate that someone returned it. He must have dropped it or something right before we started our Mosaic Canyon hike. Thank God. And this was just the icing on the cake moment for the entire trip. Matt just must have had some good karma coming his way since he curated the entire trip for us and he stood by me while I was having my heat stroke. And that's how I'm going to look at it like that. Then someone in the group suggested we all eat at the restaurant across the street called the Toll Road Restaurant slash Saloon. And so that's what we did. And the food was pretty damn bomb, actually. The pasta, I remember, was delicious. The chicken wings were good. The Angus beef burger that I had with the fries was great. Everything was pretty satisfying, and we all capped it off with a cheesecake to, to end our Death Valley National trip. And after we ate here, Matt and I said our final goodbyes to the rest of the group as they would check out Mosaic Canyon before heading out of Death Valley officially. And the drive back to L.A. wasn't that bad. You know, Matt and I split up driving two hours each, and we eventually arrived in L.A. around 5 p.m., I want to say. I thanked Matt for the incredible trip. And he went off to the beach because he somehow still had energy. He's so crazy. I swear to God. I don't know where all this energy comes from. And when I got into my crib, I threw all my stuff on the floor, finally took a shower, which felt so incredibly amazing. I laid in my bed and just thought to myself, wow, what a weekend. You literally survived and thrived out in Death Valley National Park. That was one for the books that I'm never, ever going to forget. Final thoughts of Death Valley. Just simply get on out there. The desert landscape is just so vast and captivating. I know us living in LA slash SoCal that typically we all gravitate towards Joshua Tree, Yosemite, Sequoia, but you got to explore the wonders of Death Valley. My crewmate Matt said that if you really want to experience Death Valley fully, that you should give yourself at least three days to immerse yourself in the park. 
because remember it's so vast it is the largest national park in the country so keep that in mind also i always preach on this podcast to not have summit fever which is the obsession of getting to the peak no matter what the cost well in this trip i got caught up in a different variation of that a bit which i will call canyon fever i got caught up with trying to keep up with matt and reaching the red cathedral from the top of the badlands loop the deeper and deeper you go into a canyon especially if it goes down can be a recipe for disaster because you got to climb back up especially and if you don't properly evaluate your physical condition and be well aware of any symptoms of heat exhaustion or heat stroke you know you can find yourself in a really bad situation so please be extra observant of the people and individuals you are with in a desert landscape it's seriously no joke out there rest stop hydrate refuel and please 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 turn around if you don't need to go deeper into that canyon turning around a lot of times is the best decision not only for yourself but for the group that you are with also i definitely got to mention this i found out that dora santana aka hiking lotus flower along with a few of her friends such as alfonso aka hiker's life alfonso we're staying at the same campgrounds as us that weekend, but we had no clue that we all were going. Dora was actually my episode five guest on the podcast, and that was an early favorite episode of mine. And when I was chatting with Dora after both of our Death Valley trips, she mentioned that Alfonso saw a few peeps at Zabriskie Point wearing the Just Trek Crew maroon sweater, but he wasn't positive that it was like related to Just Trek because... That sweater has the lightning bolt symbols rather than our signature logo. I just thought that was the funniest thing, but also just such a bummer because he definitely saw Machete, Matt, and Linda Don. And when I messaged my group after the fact, um, I showed them a photo of like Alfonso on, from his Instagram feed. And Francis was like, yo, he remembered seeing him capturing shots of the sunrise at Zabriskie Point, but he didn't, but he didn't know who he was at that time. So crazy how we all might have hung out with each other during that trip. So close, but it's all good. It is what it is. And that concludes my final thoughts. And let's get into this outro and officially wrap this episode up. Thank you, gracias and salamat for tuning in to the entire episode. If you like the show, make sure to subscribe and leave a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts slash iTunes. Follow us on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We are streaming on all the major platforms. If you want to send me a message, email justtrekofficial at gmail.com or slide in my DMs on Instagram at just.trek or on my personal at justrock, J-U-S-T-R-O-C. If you would like to support my creative endeavors, check out the merch store on justtrek.net slash shop. For more outdoor inspiration, make sure to check out our website. We have blogs, vlogs, and trip reports. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Have a wonderful day, and please remember to just keep on trekking.